everyone, and welcome back to the Sections radio show. Today, you are joining me, Renu, and I'm here with Dr. Rex L. Ain. He is a physics professor at Southeastern University, Louisiana. He writes a fascinating physics blog called Doc Physics, which is a celebration of all things geeky. And he also has been the science consultant to popular TV shows, Mythbusters and MacGyver. Hello, Dr. Elaine. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me. Hello. Thank you for having me. So I guess I'll start off with asking you about your blog. Your blog basically embodies the idea of show, don't tell. Can you tell me about how you, you developed this style? I mean, so it originally started with students. So I had uh, students in class that wanted to do some type of extra project for physics class in college. And so I said, you know, that's fine. You could do something really cool. But they didn't do anything cool. And I said, well, okay, maybe they didn't understand what I wanted. So maybe I should write an example. So I, I think it was one of the first ones I did was this commercial where they have this plane landing and then a, a truck comes out the back of the plane and stops it. And so I analyzed that as an example that they could follow. Uh, and, and it kind of helped. They, they made better stuff after that, but, but I enjoyed it. And so I wrote another example and then I kind of got out of control and I just kept writing more stuff. And so I, I really enjoy looking at everyday things and trying to analyze them in different ways. And that's, that's really where it started. Uh, and then I just, I never looked back. <laughs> yeah, and I think something that makes your blog unique is that most of your topics are just like mechanics or simple optics. And that really differs to a lot of other science blogs that sort of like to go into the most esoteric topics of physics. So do you have any tips for new bloggers and how they can sort of make the most of whatever little knowledge they have? Yeah, so I agree that there's people that go into quantum mechanics and astrophysics and stuff like that, and that's what they enjoy. And I, I enjoy that too, but you don't see as much. It is there, but you don't see that in your everyday life. You don't see it as in the movies as much. And you know, classical mechanics is my favorite because there's so many things you can do and it's literally everywhere. Uh, electric currents everywhere. Um, light is everywhere. So I like to answer questions that I have. And I think that's my number one tip for writers is to write for yourself. And if other people enjoy them too, then that's just a bonus. But if, if you just write for other people and, you know, something that someone may enjoy and, uh, but you don't enjoy it, it's really hard to keep that up. And, and I think that when you do that, when you write for yourself, most people appreciate the passion that they can see in you and they enjoy that. So they actually enjoy it more when you write for yourself. So usually you write about uh, the physics in video games, movies, and just popular culture in general. Is there a particular analysis that's memorable to you? I think the all the stuff I did with uh, Angry Birds, Angry Birds, you know, because I remember playing the game on my phone. Um, I had my kids were younger and I'd be putting them to bed and I had my phone. It was like the first game I really played on my phone that I enjoyed. And then you play a game like that and you start asking yourself questions. You know, is, is this projectile motion? It looks like projectile motion, but is it? Um, you know, what's the mass of a bird? You know, are these different birds better? And you come up with all these questions and you can't answer them. You can't even create a perfect experiment you're confined to the, to the game environment itself. You, know, you have to find the perfect level where you can knock over a rock with a bird. And I just enjoyed that game and the analysis of that game so much. And I got so many blog posts out of it that, uh, and, and I got a book out of it too from National Geographic. So that was kind of fun. That, that series of blog posts really changed the way I thought about video games. And, and, and for me, the video game itself was kind of like, I mean, it is absolutely real science. It's collecting data and building models, 
but it's inexpensive. It's really easy and it's really fun and other people can do it too. Uh, and so that's what I really enjoy about Angry Birds in particular. I, would, I want to find some better video games. I haven't done enough video games in a while, but I really enjoy those. Awesome. You really share your thought process as you attempt to answer these questions in your blogs. Do you think that science education shows enough of that? I mean, that is hard. I mean, the way I show my thought process is because I don't plan out what I'm going to write. I just start, I just start writing and I'm, I think of my blog more as a journal of what I'm doing uh, because I'm, I just get to it. And, and I can make mistakes, right? And I can make a mistake and the mistake is good because you can talk about the mistake and I like that. Um, I think in general, science education, uh, at least whether they attempt to or not, the, the viewpoint from the student is that if you make a mistake, that's bad, you're bad, I'm bad, everyone's bad, mistakes are bad, but they're not. You know, mistakes are a part of the learning process. Um, that's how we learn. It, it's sort of like if I was at basketball practice and I missed a, a shot, that's good, right? Because that means I can improve my shot. Uh, it'd be unrealistic for me to make every shot. That's, that's not the way it works. But I think a lot of students have that idea in class that if I did something wrong, you're either a bad teacher or I'm a bad student or I'm dumb. And, and that's not true. So I try to show that when I'm writing by, by showing the thought process. Um, and, and I think science education in general works on that. Uh, the problem is with what, what you would call direct instruction, where I just show, tell you everything and show you everything. It's hard to see the mistakes in the process. Uh, and that's why things like uh, active learning where students work on problems or you know, do some, something where they're doing something is better than just a passive lecture. Is active learning particularly difficult online? Oh. Well, we're finding out now, huh? Um, you know, we, I did online classes at the end of the spring semester. I did online classes in the summer. Um, and I, I really haven't mastered. It took me 20 years to figure out how to do active learning in, in class, right? Uh, and to get better at that. And now moving to online stuff, it is a lot more difficult to have a class that way. I think it's possible, uh, but, the, but the types of interactions that you have with students and the students have with each other have this filter of technology in them. And, and it makes everything a little bit slower uh, and a little bit more difficult and harder. So I think, I think in theory it can be done, but right now I'm still not there yet. I'm still not uh, at the level of where I want to be with with online learning in terms of uh, active learning. So moving on to your role as a science consultant, did your job at Mythbusters come about after your blogs about uh, analyzing physics in popular culture? Yeah, actually. Um, so, you know, Mythbusters started before my blog and then I started blogging and I write about things that I love. I love comic books and superheroes and Star Wars. So that's what I write about. And I love Mythbusters. It was one of my favorite shows. Uh, and originally they started off a very uh, low level type show where they, they just made mistakes. They did everything. They didn't explain the science. And that's what made Adam and Jamie so awesome was that they were just normal people with good building skills and they, they answered these scientific questions. And then at some point they changed and they started adding these little science explanations into the show. Uh, and, and that's where they started making mistakes. And so, of course, I wanted to write about what they did wrong, and I did, and, and they found that, and they reached out, and they said, well, why don't you help us make better uh, explanations for Mythbusters? And so I did. And, and at first, you know, I would just answer a few questions a year, uh, but towards the end, um, you know, I was doing a lot 
with with them. And then with Mythbusters Jr. and uh, John and Brian, the the second version of Mythbusters, you know, I, I worked on a lot of the, the myths before they did them. And so I, I got more involved with that. And it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. There was one story I remember from the last season of the Adam and Jamie Mythbusters. Uh, they wanted to uh, do the experiment where you take a train tanker car and you seal it off and then it collapses. And they want it, they know that there's a lot of safety valves on these cars that they have to disable to make it accidentally collapse. And so I was calling around to different train companies and people that had cars to try to figure out who, who could tell me about these things. And everyone just thought I was crazy. And uh, I remember I spent like a week trying to hunt down people that knew something, a, a, an expert on train cars to figure out how we could make that myth work. And that was, I was really happy to see that it all, it all worked out in the end. Yeah, I think everyone's favorite part about Mythbusters is even when the myth gets busted, he still gets to see the explosion. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, is there a myth that never was tested, but you wish was? Oh, wow. Hmm. There's so many, they've done, there's, I, I'm, I'm at my point right now where I'm thinking there's so many things that we wanted to do uh, and that they, that could be done. I'm, I can't think of one right now off the top of my head. I mean, I'll, I'm just thinking of all the great myths that they did do uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, I, I love the ones that were great physics experiments that, that we do in class, and they just take it to a bigger level. The ones that, that come into my mind are when they took a, a bullet and shot a bullet horizontally and dropped a bullet at the same time. It's a classic experiment we do in physics class, but they did it with the actual real bullets, and, and they got that to, that to work. It's really cool. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of great stuff there. What was a myth that was particularly challenging for you as a science consultant? Um, sometimes the toughest thing is creating an explanation. Okay, here's a good one. A car crashes, a T-bones another car. So it hits it on the side. And they want an, out of a number. What, what's the impact number? What, what, how can we characterize this collision of how hard this car hit this other car? And, and there's not an answer, right? I mean, those collisions are complicated and there's a lot of different ways to explain them, but, but you wanna get something to tell the audience in, in 20 seconds, 20 seconds, go. Explain this complicated idea in 20 seconds, which is pretty much impossible. Um, but you wanna say something. So, so you're, you're stuck in this position of trying to explain science very, very briefly. It, it's, like, it's like physics haiku, right? You only get three lines and it has to have five syllables and then three mm -hmm. syllables and whatever. And you're constrained to this format of explaining, explaining something. Uh, and that is quite a challenge, but also it's fun to have a challenge like that. But, but the car colliding with another car is one of the examples where they, they want a number. What's, what's the impact number, the joules or the force or something, and that you can't give it, there's no value. So it's really uh, quite difficult to do. How uh, different is it being a science consultant for MacGyver? Yeah, yeah, so MacGyver's fiction. You know, I was so impressed with the, the, the directors and the producers of, the, of MacGyver when they reached out to me and they said, we, you know, we want to give a, a little level of authenticity to MacGyver. We want to we do stuff that's at least based on science. And that's the key. Everything that MacGyver does is based on something real. Um, so you have the freedom to kind of pick something, uh, a unique solution to a problem that's based on real life science even though it, most of those hacks you couldn't do in, in the show, uh, he may build something 
in 10 seconds that would take you probably an hour to build. But, but it's still a real thing. Uh, so that's what's the challenging thing for me is, I'll talk to the writers, be writing a script, and they'll say, okay, here's MacGyver, here's the situation, uh, he needs to open this door, uh, and here's what he have. And I'll give them some options. And they'll say, oh, we like that. But we did something similar to that in season one. Okay. And then I'll come up with another idea. And then, well, that's true, but we want something more visual. So you have this, these other constraints of, you know, writing that really make it fun. It's a lot of work, but I really enjoy working with the writers. They're really creative. And then sometimes I get to suggest a physics joke and they put it in the script and I always get excited. So... Awesome. So I guess we'll wrap up with a few short questions. What's a scientific achievement of recent times that really inspired you? You know, I think I was inspired by uh, the detection of gravitational waves. Mm -hmm. uh, the LIGO Livingston Observatory is 40 miles from here. And when I first started working at Southeastern, that was there. And we had some people that worked there, but I, I just thought, there's no way this is going to work. I don't know what they're wasting their time for. And then that, they, that it actually worked. I mean, that really, I was excited. Um, all the space stuff too. Uh, SpaceX, which isn't really a scientific achievement, but uh, SpaceX uh, having a commercial rocket that can, that can land back on, the, on a barge. That's just crazy. And that it actually works. I mean, I get excited about that. So Really shows you that the human race is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And finally, if you were to write a book about yourself, what would you call it? Oh, a book about myself. I, I enjoy writing so much. I'm trying to think of something like a cool title, like the fine, surely you must be joking, Mr. Feynman. I like that mm -hmm. book. Something like that would be fun to write, but I'm not sure if the title must be, you know, uh, Rhett's crazy adventures that he thinks are cool, but no one else does. That'd be a good title. Very catchy. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It was great talking to you. Well, thank you for having me. I've had a good time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.